This is the Sergio Rodriguez Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Sergio Rodriguez Show, a show unlike any other. Today, week 13 in the NFL, a little college football because that was going crazy on Sunday around the time when they announced the four teams that would be competing for the national title. And then we have to discuss a little bit of the Yankees, too, with all this Juan Soto stuff that's going on. The NFL season, which is where we'll start. Last week, nothing too crazy. I thought a couple of teams played themselves back in to certain playoff scenarios. And certain teams put themselves in a harder road. And we're going to get to those in two seconds. Before we do that, Triangle Link. Triangle Link is the leading manufacturer in the screen printing industry, delivering the finest inks for over 35 years. Check them out at trianglelink.com or call them at 1 800 524 1592. Lucimer Auto Body, located at 27 Austin Street in Newark, New Jersey, provides top of the line service to make your collision experience as smooth as possible. Go to lucimer.com today or call them at 973-824-0113 and tell Lucimer that Sergio Rodriguez sent you. You know, the scores from last week, and we'll go down really quick because, you know, unlike normally when we do our radio show and we go our, our weekly show and we go through all the games, we have so many other stuff that we want to get to. And a lot of these games really... I'm not going to bore you with, but we'll run down the scoreboard real quick. Cowboys 41-35 over the Seahawks. Cowboys trailed in this game for the first time at home, actually, the entire year and came back, figured out a way to win the game. They keep it moving from a point standpoint, continue to beat up on teams under 500. Now, I know somebody's going to say to me, well, Seattle had a winning record. Yeah, the fact is now they're 6-6. Six and six. And, you know, if you're the Cowboys and you want to show me that you're a player in this, here's what you do. Beat the Eagles this week, which you should. Go beat either Buffalo or Miami. Because you're not going to win the division based on the fact that the Eagles' schedule is just cake. You're not going to do that. Even if you beat them, you're not going to do that. But you go to Buffalo and you lose, I get it. Tough place to play. They can score with you. But it's a winnable game. It's not the same type of game we thought it was going to be when the schedule came out. Miami, by all intents and purposes, You know you're going to go in there and you're going to give up 24, 28 points. But the fact is, Miami also has beaten no one with a winning record. And we've we've spoken about that at a nauseating amount of time already. They've beaten no one with a winning record. They've beaten no one good. So therefore, you should be able to go in there as a team that's got a winning record 
probably a 10 or an 11 win team by that time. And Miami's a team you should handle. Because you're going to give up 24 or 28, but you should score 35 or 40. And then you have Detroit. Win three out of four. And I'll believe, even if you're the five seed, that you are a legit contender to do something in the playoffs. Although I still believe the 49ers at their place, I just don't see any way Dallas can beat them. Dallas can beat Philly. I don't see them beating the 49ers. The Chargers, 6-0 over the Patriots. Don't even get me started. The Cardinals, 24-10 over the Steelers. Bad loss for Pittsburgh. They're one of those teams that made their road a little harder. Similar to the Cowboys who lost to Arizona earlier in the year, and now that's the reason why they're in a tough situation to win the division even if they beat Philly. Pittsburgh just put themselves in a real almost came back to the pack, especially after Cincinnati won on Monday night over Jacksonville, 34-31. The Colts, 31-28 to over the Titans. I really thought a, a team that played its way in now. I really thought the Titans were going to win that game. It was one of the Sergio Rodriguez picks, and they led for most of the game, blew that game, late third, early fourth, and kudos to the Colts. Now they are back in the mix with the playoffs. The Texans 22-17 to over the Broncos. The Texans continue to find ways to win these games. Give them credit, although I will say this. The more now that I watch them play closer, right, because early in the year, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding through certain plays, possessions, etc. Now that I'm watching every play, D'Amico Ryans is showing me some wrinkles in his coaching. He's going to have to tighten that up. He's done a great job. But a couple of situations are popping up in these games where decisions, bad decisions are being made, and they haven't bitten. In, they, 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 right now, they have not become a problem. But that could that could come back and bite you. Detroit 33-28 over the, over the Saints. They jumped out 21-0 and had to hang on for dear life. I really thought the Saints at one point were going to figure out a win this game, and they didn't good win for Detroit. The Falcons 13-8 over the Jets, almost as bad as the Patriots game. The Dolphins, 45-15 to 15 over the Commanders. That's what the Dolphins do. They beat up bad teams. The, Buc- the Buccaneers, 21-18 over the Panthers. A game that really meant nothing for either team in terms of playoff scenario. But I will say this about Tampa Bay, who's 5-7 and seven now. Although... We don't believe that they're any good. Tampa Bay is one of those teams now that has played themselves into a situation based on the fact that the NFC South is so bad 
they're one game out now. They're one game out. And if you look at their schedule, they're playing for first place this week with the Falcons. And then they have at the Packers, the Jaguars at home, and we don't know where they're going to be with their quarterback situation. Saints and Carolina again. So the Bucs, who, again, played a played what amounted to be a meaningless game going in, find themselves dead smack. Dead smack in a divisional race. The 49ers, 42-19 over the Eagles. After the first two drives, completely dismantled the Eagles. In fact, the funny thing is that the Eagles drove down and really controlled that first quarter and were only up 6-0, two field goals. And that is always a recipe for disaster. And it was because the 49ers came back in a major way, in a major way, and backed up the talk because a lot of the talk going in was all 49er driven saying, hey, if we didn't lose Purdy last year, we would have beat the hell out of you. And they came in there, and they proved it. And they right that ship after having that three-game losing streak a month ago. The Rams, 36-19 to over the Browns. Another team you got to give credit to. Because the Rams have figured out a way at 6-6 six and six to hang around and make a season when none of us expected them to be any good this year. And if they were in any other division, and if they were in, in the NFC South, you could figure out a way that they're going to be the team that's going to represent that division. I just don't know from a wild card scenario I mean, they've put themselves now with the Vikings and the Packers. I thought the Vikings were going to be a lock before last week. But now the Vikings put themselves in a really tough spot last week by losing. And now with Detroit, uh, with uh, the Rams winning this game against Cleveland and the Packers beating Kansas City 27 to 19 now all of a sudden now you have a race there let's look at the Packers schedule for a second here let's see let's see how we can break this down here Packers at the Giants 7 and 6 home to the Bucks could be 8 and 6 Carolina then the Vikings and the you know the Packers are set up right now the way they're playing they're set up and, and as far as a week ago, I would have told you there was no way the Vikings don't make the playoffs. And if you look at the standings, they're just, I mean, from a, from a divisional situation, Cowboys and Eagles are both in. That's two spots. Detroit is three. The winner of the South is four. The 49ers are five. That leaves one spot for the Rams, six and six, the Seahawks, 6-6, six and six, and the Vikings and Packers, both 6-6. Six and six. 
I really felt the Vikings were a viable play to make the playoffs. And now looking at the Packers' schedule, I don't know if they are. I don't know if they are. And then obviously on Monday night, like I mentioned earlier, the Bengals 34-31 to over the Jaguars. The Jaguars lose Lawrence. The Bengals had come in without Burrow, who's done for the year. Figure out a way to win. Browning played phenomenal football. When you're coached, you can coach through certain things. There's a reason why the Jets and the Giants struggle to find consistent quarterback play. And yet Cincinnati can go to the bench and bring Browning in and get a Joe Burrow-like performance. Now, is he going to do that every week? No. No. If he did, he'd be a starter in this league. But if he can do, let's say, seven-tenths, six-tenths of what he did the other night, then they can salvage their season. They can salvage their season. Let's look at next week's games for a sec here. Thursday nights, Pittsburgh, New England. Pittsburgh has to win. Has to win that game. You cannot lose back-to-back games to Arizona and New England if you're going to consider yourself a playoff team. Cleveland goes home now and gets Jacksonville. Cleveland, who struggles to score, now is going to be playing a Jacksonville team who will probably struggle to score now. The total in that game. Let me show you how bad offense is in the NFL this year. The The line in the Pittsburgh game, Pittsburgh's a six-point favorite. The total is 30. Okay? 30. The total in the in the next game, in the Cleveland-Jacksonville game, is 30 and a half. That's how bad, and if you look at all these totals, the Rams-Ravens, the total's 40. Detroit Bears, the total's 41 and a half. And by the way, I like the Bears in that game. Detroit's a three-point favorite on the road. I like the Bears in that game. The Saints are a five-point favorite at home. The totals, again, 37 and a half. No scoring in this league anymore. Atlanta's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. The total, 39 in that game against Tampa Bay. The Colts are a one-point favorite on the road against the Bengals. Give me the Bengals in that game. The total, 41-and-a-half. 41-and-a-half was a low total 10 years ago, five years ago. Houston, five-and-a-half-point favorite on the road against the Jets. You want to guess what the total is? 33. San Francisco's a 10-and-a-half-point favorite at home. The total's 46-and-a-half, normal spread. Minnesota's a three-point favorite on the road against the Raiders. Give me the Raiders in that game. The total... 
40 and a half. The Chargers are a three-point favorite at home against the Broncos. Totals 44. That's an interesting line because the Broncos have been playing well. They did lose last week. They've been playing well. The Chargers struggling this year, and they're still a favorite. Vegas is begging you to bet Denver. Kansas City's a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home over Buffalo. The total's 48-and-a-half. Buffalo needs to win that game. Kansas City can afford another loss. Not if they want the one seed. Well, I guess now they could really, even if, they, if they're competing for the one seed. They could afford it. Makes it a little harder with them. But Buffalo really cannot lose this game. Not if they want to make the playoffs. Because they have Dallas the following week. And speaking of Dallas, they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home. The total's 53. Monday night, two Monday night games this week. Miami's a 13-and-a-half-point favorite at home. The total's 47. Tennessee is brutal on the road, and Miami does nothing but beat bad teams the way they should. The way they should. Them and Dallas, no one's better at beating bad teams. And not only did they beat them, they embarrass them. They hang 35 and 40 on you. And then the other Monday night game, Green Bay is a six and a half point favorite on the road at the Giants. Another low total. That total is 37. So Sunday, right before the NFL kicked off, the NCAA released its final four for the playoffs, and they snubbed Florida State. They left them out. An undefeated ACC team left out, partly because of the quarterback injury. But they were left out. But I think that before you go over all of these scenarios that come up every year, You have to say to yourself, am I in favor of getting the most deserving teams? Or am I in favor of getting the best teams? Or am I in favor of getting the best games? And here's what I mean. I would tell you Florida was deserving. Florida State. I would tell you, if you said to me, Sergio, who are the four most deserving teams there? It would be Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Florida State. Those are your four most deserving teams. If you said to me, Sergio, who are going to be the four teams that are going to create the best games? I would tell you Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama. And that's who they chose. If you said to me, Sergio, who are the best four teams? I would tell you Georgia, Michigan, Texas, and Alabama. I would tell you that on a neutral field, Georgia today, today, is favored against everyone, including Alabama, who they just lost to last week. Vegas would have them as a favorite. 
they would definitely be a favorite. Hell, Michigan's the one seed. Think about this. People are debating whether Alabama deserves to be there over Florida State. And Michigan's only a one-point favorite over an Alabama team, which I believe is a better team and probably will win that game. And so does the rest of America because most of the money early has gone on Alabama. Do you want the best teams or do you want the most deserving? That's what you have to decide where you're on. Because you're not going to get both. And now this belief that everything gets solved next year because you expand the playoffs and areas now, you're still going to be arguing about the same thing. And guess what? The first bunch of games are all going to be terrible. You're still going to get a lot of lopsided scores in these games. No matter how you do it, no matter how you expand it. The scores are going to be lopsided. And look, the semifinal games have been atrocious since they went to this format. Atrocious. So I don't see much changing. But I'm okay with the four teams that they chose. I am. I think Georgia's one of the best four, but they lost to Alabama. You can't take them over Washington in that scenario. But I think we're going to end up with an Alabama-Texas rematch, which will be phenomenal for TV. You know, the Yankees are getting closer and closer to finalizing this deal for Juan Soto. In fact, in most places, but most people will tell you it's just a formality. Juan Soto's not going any other place other than the Yankees. I, I had one person very close to a GM situation on an American League team tell me everyone's going in here understanding that the only shot we have for Juan Soto is if the Yankees don't want him. But they're getting him if they want him. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones that can, that are willing to give San Diego enough for Soto. More than anybody else. based strictly on need. They need Juan Soto. So they're going to have to give up a little bit more than the price would probably ordinarily ask for for a guy who's gone on the last year of his contract and everyone knows San Diego's got to get rid of. Now, taking Soto means you're probably going to have to take another contract, which creates a domino effect of things here. They were talking about taking over Grisham's contract. I don't see that happening, especially now that they traded for Verdugo, who, by the way, is another shopping, a bargain shopping discount that the, that the Yankees have gone to now. This is another Harrison Bader. 
There's another guy who people are going to tell me is a great player and is a fourth outfielder. Same thing they told me when the Yankees got Bader. And the same reporters that will that will, that were telling me how Bader needed to go after they were all in favor of him being here and how Verdugo's a better player are the same guys who will tell me that a player is better than another player based on war and both these guys have the same war in the same amount of time in the big leagues. They're the same player. Same player. Bader's got more power. Verdugo will hit for a little better average and strike out less. Bader's a better outfielder. Same player. You got rid of Bader at the end of the year in September. Now you traded for Bader 2.0. Same player, different style. But Cronworth is probably the guy that would come. And if he comes, it's going to create a domino effect. He will then become your second baseman. The Yankees, in turn, will look to flip Torres for some pitching. Now, I know people out there believe that the Yankees need pitching. I don't believe the Yankees need pitching. I believe the Yankees need a number two starter. They don't have a legit number two starter. And don't tell me that the guy that they gave all this money to, Rodon, is a number two starter. He fleeced us. Yes, I just said us. Gave that guy all that money, and he's essentially going to be what he what he what he was. See, because that's the problem. You overpaid for a guy whose history told you he was a three or a four, but one season told you he was a two. And so the Yankees trading Taurus, what are they going to get? Another number three, because nobody's going to give you a number two. I know that they were throwing around Bieber's name and, uh, you know, one of the guys from Milwaukee. You're not getting a number two for a guy like Taurus who's going to be making a nice chunk of change in arbitration, and is going to be a free agent after this year. Second baseman who bat over 260 in this baseball today and hit over 25 home runs are going to be worth $100 million. So you're not going to give up a number two pitcher and then also come out of your pocket with $100 million to keep that guy. You'll give up a three. You'll give up a four, which means the Yankees then are back in the same situation they were. They might be worse because, okay, they're going to have Soto. Great. But you're going to take a major hit offensively at second base from Torres to Cronworth. The shortstop bats 209. LeMahieu at third. At this point in his career, over the last two years, has proven that he's not that guy the Yankees once had. He's a 260 hitter. Rizzo at first. 
outside of April last year, he was terrible. And then he got hurt. So even adding Soto, even adding Soto, let's look at that Yankee team. Question mark behind the plate. You got to upgrade there. Question mark at first. Cronworth is a solid major leaguer, but you're going to run him out there for 145. He's got to prove to me that he's the player that got the contract that he got. Because the player that I saw last year is a third of the player Glaber Torres is. Volpe, even if you give Volpe another 25 points in his average, which in today's baseball is an eternity, is an eternity in terms of improvement. You're still telling me your shortstop is batting 234. LeMahieu at third, 260. Then in the outfield, you're going to have Soto, Judge, and Verdugo. And your DH is Stanton. Tell me how that team is necessarily better than the team that just played and finished last year. Because what you're losing, what Soto gives you, you're probably going to lose at second base. So it becomes a wash. So I don't know how you become better. Not to mention that you're still in the same situation with the pitching scenario. You got Cole and a bunch of number three and fours. That'll play over 162. It will. But we'll be having the same discussion in October. Not to mention that down the road, there's another issue coming. Because when Dominguez finally is healthy, and he's going to be healthy to DH before he's healthy to play on the field. How do the Yankees manage that? With the fact that they have Stanton clogging up the DH. No leadoff batter. So you're probably going to have to lead off Soto. Because he's going to be your highest on base percentage guy. Because if you lead off LeMahieu, you're right back to the whole 304 on base percentage from the leadoff spot. Yankee fans are going to rejoice when they get Juan Soto. But I don't know. Outside of getting Soto and keeping Torres, I don't know how that team got significantly better or better in general just by adding Soto if you eliminate Torres from the equation and plug in Cronworth. Or if you don't get Cronworth trading Torres and plugging in Peraza. We'll touch this subject again in about another 
two or three weeks once things shape up a little more. But that's the current standing of the Yankees. Make no mistake about it. They have a long way to go. A long way to go. Before I believe they're a World Series champion type team. You've been listening to the Sergio Rodriguez Show. A show unlike any other.